This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Lifers in this industry have been watching the slow but steady evolution and maturity of electronic paper products and are now seeing them get to a state that they start to make sense for certain display applications while also looking good enough to satisfy marketers. Taiwan-based e-ink is by a large margin the best-known company developing and marketing this technology. While the big volume is still in simple black and white displays for e-readers and electronic shelf labels, e-ink has been steadily improving its capabilities with color. There are now premium e-paper displays that arguably look as good as what comes off a conventional four-color printing press. And there are also now larger format single and multi-color displays that won't get anywhere near matching a specific Pantone color, but can do the job of adding green to a parking sign to better indicate availability of spaces. E-paper products are particularly attractive for some applications these days because they nicely address concerns about sustainability and energy usage. A lot of information signs that get printed and shipped to site can get replaced by e-paper versions that are updated over networks and use a fraction of the power of more conventional public information displays. In this episode, I have a great update chat with Tim O'Malley, or Timo as he says he's most known. He leads commercial activities for e-ink in the U.S. market. Tim, thanks for joining me. In the context of digital signage, what would you see as the main applications for e-paper displays, e-ink displays? Yeah, great question. Um, so the e-paper display has two main characteristics that we leverage into those applications. The first is it's paper-like, and by paper-like, I mean it's reflective. It's not creating light. It's right. reflecting the light around it, and it's very low power. It does not use any power when the image is not changing. So we really want to be looking at applications that have been using paper traditionally and improve that experience, create new functionality, create more sustainability by having, instead of replacing that paper all the time um, by enabling it to change. So a big one for us is in retail applications, whether that's uh, shelf tags on the shelf next to the product, or even some of the slightly larger ones that are indicating sales and special promotions about the product. Right. So the ESL market. The ESL market. In many cases, you'll go into a store and you'll see they all look like paper, but they're not. They're actually e-ink enabled shelf tags. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that sense, there's a lot of, of installed signs, over 900 million tags installed in the world. And most people don't even know they're seeing it. Mm -hmm. Similarly, most of the out-of-home signs that are installed on street corners and bus stations are actually paper. 
all of the attention, of course, goes to the digital ones that you can update and show, you know, the latest movie posters. But there's still a lot of paper out there. Mm -hmm. um, and if we can bring more sustainability, but also running on renewable power and the ability to update it remotely, that's an improvement. So those are the types of applications. Right. If you set aside ESLs and digital fact tags, that sort of thing, and then the e-reader market, what would commercial displays represent in the overall business for e-ink? I would imagine it's still pretty small. Um, it's relatively smaller. That's correct. Our two big applications are the ones that you identified. Um, that means to me, of course, that that's our growth opportunity. That's a big area that we can help the world, but also grow the company. Um, as we introduce our new color platforms, so we have a color that's high saturation, looks like you know four-pass printing press color, uh, and we have color that's perhaps less muted, more muted, but uh, it's faster and easier to use, mm -hmm. um, and wider temperature. We're coming out with a range of products that can go into those different configurations. Uh, and be more appropriate for the larger installations of digital mm -hmm. signage. Yeah, I, I remember, God, it's probably like 13 years ago, going to Computex in Taiwan and seeing one of the first e-ink uh, color posters. It was like a 32-inch poster or something like that. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool, but the it had a color filter, so it was the colors were quite muted. And over the years, those color filters have got a lot better. And you, you now, as you mentioned, have uh, e-paper, e-ink, pardon me, products that look like uh, four-pass color printing. Right. Um, the color filter approach does have physics limitations, the lights passing through the color filter. Yep. And so you do lose some. Uh, we still take that approach. That's still great for some installations. It's sort of a, a, a lower lift in terms of scalability in order to make a display like that. And we lower had cost, I would imagine. Um, there's or extra process cost. steps, so it's kind of the same. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the material difference for us was taking those uh, colors, those particles of cyan, magenta, yellow, or red, green, blue, and moving them into the electronic ink material so that we can move away from adding this filter on top. Mm -hmm. And that's where if you print on paper, you get the full saturation. If we use the same particles and move them, then you get the full saturation. And that, that was a material challenge. In 2013, we hadn't solved it yet. Right. Uh, but some of the stuff that we've shown in the last couple of years, and certainly this year, uh, in the Society of Information Display Conference, mm -hmm. people would sit in front of it and just stare at it for 10 minutes. And then they would say, how do you do that? <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. And, and that, that from what I've seen, I haven't seen it in person, but uh, it, it looks like very rich, detailed, fully saturated color. It does. We need to get you to see one in person. I think we can probably uh, send something that you could look at and Send back. Yeah, yeah, send me it. Oh, do I have to send it back? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are what's the status of that sort of thing? Is it still what you're showing at SID and things like that, or is it a commercially available product now? Right. Um, so in April this year, we announced that product. Uh, it will be commercially available to purchase next year, early next mm -hmm. year. 
Um, so at this point, it's getting partners and a downstream ecosystem on board to be able to mm -hmm. support that. So the that should basically say the technical risk is in a reasonable place, and it's more about um, scaling and configuration than it is about um, solving any technical problems. So we started with black and white, as you noticed, that so we added red, so it was black, white, red, we added yellow, black, white, red, yellow, and now this gets into full color. So it's been a progression for us over the last decade. Um, and that progression has given us the tools and the confidence to say that the full platform has come together in a very reliable way. And would that be something in fixed sizes or would it be custom manufacturing according to whatever the end user needs. Yeah, so that gets into the the business model and how we approach. Mm -hmm. Most of what we make, the right way to think about it is, it's, uh, you know, say a meter wide and a kilometer long. Right. So we make it by a big ass process. Roll. Yeah, big ass roll. Um, and then it gets cut down to the appropriate size. Mm -hmm. However, uh, we're all familiar with the mother glass and the, the gen fabs that go through on this TFT. Yep. The, so there is efficiencies by different size. So, and that's where you get this 16 by nine cut. Um, so we are typically either selling sheets of this that someone else downstream from us can cut to size, but mm -hmm. then they're still limited by efficient cuts of glass or we're making modules ourselves, buying in uh, TFTs where, again, we look at the efficiency of the cuts of glass. So technically, any size is possible. Practically, most people coalesce around standard sizes. Okay, so it would be the same kind of sizing range that you, you might find for a flat panel LCD display. Yes. And uh, I guess what I'm angling towards is trying to get an understanding for this premium full color e-paper display if it was a 55 inch e-paper display reflective display versus a 55 inch uh, QLED or OLED display what would be the cost difference would they be comparable or would you be paying a lot more because the, the volumes are smaller um, so we try to characterize the cost 10 into total cost of ownership so <laughs> Uh, it, <laughs> well, yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a salesy thing to do, but I I get it. So it's yeah. So straight up, it's typically more upfront, um, yeah. but the installation costs are typically much less. So where a lot of our installations are running off solar panels, mm -hmm. so there, there's no digging up of the concrete, running a power line uh, in order to supply it. So you mount, you you put a pole on the ground, you put a solar panel on top, and it works. Right. Um, so there's, that's where even on the installation side, just the cost of the display itself isn't the only factor. Mm -hmm. And then if we're using 1% of the energy over the lifetime of the display, or if it's renewable, practically zero, cause it's not drawing, right. um, then we want to be able to factor that in as well. So, uh, that's why I try to characterize it as yeah. looking at total cost of ownership. Cause we do want to factor in installation and renewal. Well, fair enough. I mean, it's just, it becomes a sticker shock issue if you're just selling completely on MSRP or something. Uh, and I also said at the outset, you know, that we're looking at paper primarily as our way all yeah. to improve things. And it turns out that paper is kind of cheap. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, that people that are, that are used to paper pricing will get a sticker shock as well. So, um, mm-hmm. but the value is there. Uh, we think it makes a big difference. So uh, that's an education project for us. So the I was thinking more of the, of this premium, uh, fully saturated color e-ink displays being indoor products, but you're saying that they could go for digital out-of-home applications? Um, right now, the highest saturation color is primarily indoor. Okay. So, so that is, a prog- again, that's part of our progression is to continue adding the capability to do outdoor. Mm-hmm. Um, the outdoor signs... There's both low temperature and high temperature and uh, a little bit of the ruggedness UV side of things. Yeah. But the UV is not that bad. You can add filters. Low temperature is relatively easy because heating is small and easy to put in. But mm-hmm. cooling is a pain. And so making sure that we get the high temperature right, which uh, we're working on and is very close, um, will unlock even more locations for us outside. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we do have other products that are, so we've announced Spectra 6, which is the highest saturation and mostly indoor, mm-hmm. uh, Kaleido 3 Outdoor, which is the color filter we talked about, is our other product that was announced in April. And that really right. is giving us the temperature range for outdoor. So right. That does get into the, you know, match the configuration to the application. Yeah. And, uh, What's the refresh rate on that? Like if you're changing something, if it's a transit schedule and it's showing that, uh, you know, the next bus is in three minutes, when it goes to two minutes, uh, does, is it pretty snappy or does the image kind of get a little wobbly for uh, a few milliseconds? A little wobbly. Interesting <laughs> choice. <laughs> uh well, you know how it kind of, well, to use a kid's term, spazzes out for uh, a few milliseconds. I've certainly seen that in uh, in demos of e-paper displays. Sure, but I'll take little wobbly over spazzes out. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Kaleido 3 Outdoor is built on our black and white platform, which switches uh, very fast. We only have to move white or black particles up or down. So that's typically a second, let's say maybe Mm -hmm. up to five seconds, depending on temperature and uh, other factors. Um, So it's pretty quick. The higher saturated, that's what we talked about, that's more like 15 seconds to update. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one, obviously, if you're standing in front of it, 15 seconds is long enough to notice. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, we still talk about fitting the configuration to the application. So... Um, it can be faster or it can be up to the 10 or 15 seconds. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps weird. Well, I am weird, but uh, I, I think it's actually kind of interesting and, and a way of attracting viewers in certain respects when it's going through this change because you're looking at it going, what the hell's going on there? And then you see what it, it, it turns into and it's almost like you want to see that happen again. Yeah, so you've got a lot of experience in the industry. Um, you know that motion attracts attention. Sure. So there certainly is an element to, you can use that motion. And in some cases, we've tried to add that into the retail application where not just showing that static, say, price of the product, but mm-hmm. sparkling a little bit or highlighting a little bit in order to draw the at somebody's attention as they're walking by in order mm-hmm. to attract them to that product. So that is something that can be done. And it's 
an advantage of moving from paper to a display, but still keeping, you know, five-year life on coin cell battery mm-hmm. uh, instead of having to connect it to a power. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. How important was it to go to color filters for your transit displays? Was that and municipal displays, was that something that the end user saying, we like this, but we need to show uh, like a no parking sign or, or whatever with a, a red filter on it? Uh, yeah, it was important feedback from the market and from consumers. Um, whether that's a public transportation subway line, where you want to be able to show each of the line colors, uh, red, green, blue, etc., appropriately, or the bus lines often have colors associated with them as well, or red, no parking, you know, is a common thing. Red is used to indicate something of special importance. So um, that was definitely based on the feedback. Mm -hmm. That's where we started with color filter, because that was the integration that was the easier technical challenge and then moved to built-in particles in order to make the color more saturated over time. And is that where you're at now with the, uh, I think you said Kaleido 3 or something like that? Kaleido, the Kaleido platform is the color filter platform. Okay. Um, And then Spectra is our higher saturation, has traditionally mostly been for retail platform. Right. And with the reaching of full color, we're looking to expand that into broader markets. Is there still R&D work going on to introduce video as i I've, I've seen low frame rate e-paper e-ink displays at uh touch taiwan about four or five years ago and thought well that's interesting but boy it's got a long way to go before that's uh commercially viable yeah so there's, there's a couple things there um recently we showed again at that same conference in, in la uh a display running a video i think it was around 15 frames per second mm-hmm to showcase that it was possible to have a display running a video, uh, and that was using color filter on the display to do it. Um, In general, however, the main advantage of replacing paper with an e-paper display is the low power when the image is not changing. Mm -hmm. So most of the applications that make sense aren't using video um, because they want the low power savings. Like I mentioned, The shelf tags are five to seven years on a pair of coin cells. You could shorten that to three months if you did video on the coin cells, but why would you? Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone wanted to try and do video, it would lose some of the key benefits of low power. Right. Um, 
it could technically be done, but that's probably not the best fit for the technology stream that we've been focused on and we think the application is. It turns out there's a really good solution in the world for video. Um, as you mentioned, QLED or OLED. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that's a fine choice for that kind of application and for paper replacement and for things like that. Uh, we're developing a differentiated approach. Right. So you can you can go down that path with R&D, but it's not a core focus and you're kind of staying in your lane, so to speak. Uh, that's a great rephrasing. A little shorter. That was good. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was in Europe a couple of weeks ago for a, a conference, a digital signage conference. And Europe's very different from North America in, in a whole bunch of ways, but particularly when it comes to the, the mindset and the requirements around energy conservation and sustainability. It, it, when I was asked while I was over there, what's the mindset in North America? And I, I would say, well, they're starting to talk about it, but it's, it's nothing like it is over here. Uh, is, is that where you're, f I, I know you, your company talks a lot about energy savings and uh, sustainability. Is, is it more of a discussion in other parts of the world than perhaps in North America? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I agree with your impression of Europe. Um, there was a law, a regulation passed in Germany, and I think one also in France, limiting the amount of time that a digital display for non-public information, so an advertising display, can mm. be operated during the day. So I think it's like six hours. Um, so, and they prim primarily that regulation is intended to save energy. My general observation from looking at the retail market where we were working in shelf tags, it started in Europe. They were the the leading, they were the thought leaders maybe yeah. on uh, benefits that you can get with low power displays, particularly on labor savings because the, the labor situation in Europe is a little bit different than Asia or North America. But the uh, trend to use e-paper displays in retail migrated from Europe then to Asia and from Asia over to North America. You might have seen earlier this year, Walmart announced they were adopting it. Mm -hmm. I expect the same thing to happen um, with this type of focus on sustainability and energy usage in signage. We'll see that Europe will lead. And then eventually, as the configurations are more mature and the benefits are clearer, it'll start to migrate around the world. So I do expect that the stuff that you saw at that conference will be a trend. Mm -hmm. Is the mindset uh, around uh, being socially responsible and environmentally responsible, or is it more, you know, <laughs> calculated than that? That is, you know, this 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 is going to save us money, or is it simply they're doing it because regulations are forcing our hand? Um, I expect that when it turns into a trend, which I think it will, I think it will be all of the above. So mm -hmm. I, I mentioned that the initial push to put shelf tags in retail was primarily labor savings, um, and, and it was primarily in Europe. But now, if you look at the recent interview that the Walmart CFO did, there's return on investment by making these changes. We can update prices easier. We can compete with online. We can do supply management. And it helps us with logistics. Also, we still have the labor savings. Also, it looks better. Mm -hmm. When 
the configurations and start to mature and come online, it'll still be about sustainability, but there'll be other aspects that are beneficial as well. We can use it for communicating to the public during emergency situations type of thing mm -hmm. um, that will also lend into the trend. So I th right now it's a lot about sustainability and energy savings. I think as it gets better, more and more attributes will start to be recognized and feed the trend. Right. Uh, I, I'm curious again about uh, mass transport. Uh, I, I've seen and written about a number of pilots and initial deployments of e-paper displays as real-time transit schedule uh, information signs on, uh, you know, at bus stops and so on. I'm curious whether you're seeing those turn into full deployments or for the most part, they're still early stage pilots. Um, most of uh, the installations that we've been working with today are city by city, shall we say. So mm -hmm. each city is typically doing a pilot before moving to a larger installation. So we're in a process of that earlier stage. Um, in some cases, there's uh, signs hanging from handles in cars, uh, subway cars in China. That's kind of an installation. Mm -hmm. um, so late stage pilots is maybe a reasonable answer, but also it's it's part of the process of getting it through these stages of you know, government bureaucracy approval, figuring out how they want to do infrastructure investment, mm -hmm. um, and validating that these different applications and use cases make sense. So bus stations, bus signs, bus shelters is a strong category for us, but it's still early innings. Yeah. Is there any mass transport system globally, really, that uh, has fully deployed? Uh, there's not a fully deployed global system that I'm aware of, but there's a number of especially cities that are interested in what could be done uh, with mm -hmm. the right configurations. And this is where us getting to a full color product is also helpful to those installations. Um, instead of talking about, well, it's limited to black, white, red, it's, oh, it can do everything. Let's figure out how we adopt that in a way that makes sense. So it turns the conversation from talking about potential limitations to talking about potential solutions. Right. Yeah, I think uh, Sydney, Australia and Transport for London in the UK have both done pretty substantial pilots, right? Yes. Very impressive. There you go. Well, I, I haven't lost all my marbles yet. <laughs> you have been in the industry for a while, so uh, I have, yes. you must follow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I get up in the morning and do. Uh, what about the medical market? I, I'm, I, I, I think that's a, an area that's really got a lot of opportunity uh, in, in big healthcare institutions for information displays, you know, in, in, outside of patient rooms, at the nursing stations, on and on and on. And I know on your website uh, that, that's talked about. I'm curious what stage of adoption that's at. I sure. suspect early. Uh, <laughs> early is a, a fine description. Uh, we identified that opportunity and started working towards it. Um, it's a little bit ahead in Asia, but um, right at the time when COVID was starting. So it turned out not to be a great strategic moment to really be focusing busy, on healthcare. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the worldwide healthcare um, hospital industry started to focus on something else at that time. Yes. Um, and so 
that has taken a little bit of a reset for us to engage in those conversations. Nevertheless, um, whether it's a information board in the patient room where it's displaying key statistics that are relevant to the patient, such as their doctor's name, their schedule for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've done a pilot with Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston where there's positive feedback on that type of board in the room. It's nice in the sense that it's not giving off light. So at night, it's not like keeping you awake as if you had a your TV showing the same information. Right. Um, and it's unobtrusive. If you decided you did want to watch TV, it just sits on the side of the room um, with the information if and when you want it. Yeah, I, I suspect, though, it's an incredibly long sales cycle. Uh, everyone tells me healthcare is extremely lucrative and extremely hard to break into. So uh, we're working on the break into front. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any deal that you do in a couple of meetings. Right. Um, but there's real value there. Um, we think it's a potential solution. We are starting to see the conversations change now that the world is sort of getting back to a more normality. Mm-hmm. Um, we might be seeing a little bit of adoption on the inventory management front first, where if you can take the same shelf tags that are being used in retail and bring them into those stock rooms in the hospitals and connect that to the inventory management system. So if something starts to run low, you push a button on the tag, or maybe it's even automated by a scale, you can have a significant savings by managing your inventory better. Um, mm. So we are seeing sort of in the back room, maybe not seen by all the patients, that that might be a pretty good application. So we're still exploring the ways to add value there. Yeah, I, I, I chatted with a company, uh, Freshwater Digital in, in Michigan. Uh, they're a digital science solutions company, but they also do ESLs. And they, they were describing how they were seeing some activity around things like uh e-paper fact tags in research labs for the, like the, the, the cages for, you know, trying different medications on uh, lab rats and monkeys or whatever. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Exactly. I've also heard that. I've also seen some <laughs> of that. Um, it's leveraging that combination of this cloud communication infrastructure and the fact that you don't need to connect the tag to power. It can sit there, it can be in communication, it can update when it needs to, but it can also go for a year plus on a coin cell. Mm-hmm. That, that's enabling to go into some places that might have been more difficult for traditional solutions. There's been a lot of noise the last couple of years coming out of CES with, uh, I think it was a BMW that had e-ink, some sort of an e-ink overlay that would make the car changeable. Is Is that like, trade show bling uh, or, or something that's real and one day might be out there? So absolutely real and one day might be out there, but also a little trade show bling. Um, okay. So working with BMW has been uh, awesome. They're great designers and to take a, a technical mindset and engineering and match it up with some design thinking uh, created what was really a wow concept car. And so the goal was to create a concept card to show that what's possible. And what was shown at CES this year was uh, a car covered in ink material that could switch between uh, 32 different colors and show different patterns and different segments and uh, create a lot of wow factor. Uh, Ideally, over time, we'll start to work this into some 
simpler inst- simpler parts of the car, maybe uh, inside the car, maybe we also had some uh, integration with the front lights, with the headlights, mm-hmm. um, and then work towards that full color car covering. Um, the exciting thing about that is it's moving away from what we think of as digital information into something that's more like personalization. Mm-hmm. Now you could change your clothes every day or from one venue to another, depending on what, whether you're at a barbecue or at a formal dinner, and you could change your car too, in order to reflect either the location or your mood. Right. Uh, and hyper-personalization seems to be a trend. And part, that was part of what BMW was leaning into is we have a sustainable solution, but also a digital solution for personalization. Right. And what about a building material? I know there was, uh, I think it was near San Diego airport or, or at the airport, they had a parking garage that was kind of clad in another e-ink material. Uh, yeah, the, that was based on an old battleship design from World mm-hmm. War II called Dazzle, where it would break up the lines right. uh, so you didn't have quite this outline on the horizon. And they wanted to bring that same feeling into the, because they have the naval base out there, into the rental car center. Um, and we did have uh, a whole bunch of signs on the outside of the building that could change in pre-programmed patterns. Uh, you said we would, did. Is that no longer active? Oh, it's still there. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, architecture is not a primary focus. So mm-hmm. if we start from that first principle of looking at places where people use paper and then bringing added benefit, um, paper isn't widely used on the outside of buildings as a material. You might have some signs or some advertisement, and we are we did talk about that. Um, architecture, there's a lot of it. It might be interesting over time, but it wouldn't be my first step from where we are today. Right. That's also a very, very long sales cycle. <laughs> it's also a very, very long sales cycle, yes. And it's not traditionally um, an, an easy way to bring a high-tech material in. Yeah. Uh, you, really, you really need to get the configuration simple to bring onto site. For people to install and use. Mm-hmm. Well, this flew by. Uh, just one last question: What can we expect to see? What kind of announcements uh, that can you hint out over the next uh, six to twelve months for Inc? We're heavily leaning into applications that are color, and we want to bring color into all of full color into all of our product lines. So, the things that I would be looking for is more announcements by customers and partners that have ink displays that are upgrading them to those full color solutions. Um, And in many cases, I think that will help us unlock another round of uh, excitement as consumers become aware of what can be possible. Um, And hopefully smart cities start to look at that and adopt it as well. So full color in more places uh, is those types of announcements that I'm looking for. Hmm. All right. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 69 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 169 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of this stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 169 is free. 
Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.